0: Howdy. This is Vosh. You may know me from the YouTube channel, Vosh, where I live stream. Most of it's garbage, but sometimes the good bits get uploaded here. This is Previously Live. South Africa is a big country. Over 60 million people in its population. The largest city is Johannesburg. Presumably it's named that because the Dutch were the ones who colonized it. About 80% of the population are black South Africans. The remaining population consists of Africa's largest community of European, white South African, Asian, Indian South African, and Chinese South African, and multiracial colored South Africans. That's the term we use, I guess. Ancestry. South Africa is a multi-ethnic society with a wide variety of cultures, languages, and religions. Its pluralistic makeup is reflected in the Constitution's recognition of 11 official languages. Wow. The two most spoken first languages are Zulu and Zosa. I assume that's how it's pronounced. Wow, 227 and 16%. There really is no single dominant language, is there? 22.7 and 16 are the two most spoken first languages? Wow. I imagine that English is like the common language? Maybe not. The two next are of European origin. Afrikaans, uh, developed from the Dutch, serves as the first language of most colored and white South Africans. Okay, colored South African, does that mean mixed race? Multiracial. Okay, so colored South Africans... Could mean a lot of stuff, but broadly mixed race. And then English. English is commonly used in public and commercial life. Okay, that's what I thought. The country is one of the few in Africa to have never had a coup d'etat, and regular elections have been held for almost a century. However, the vast majority of black South Africans were not enfranchised until 1994. During the 20th century, the black majority sought to claim more rights from the dominant white minority which played a large role in the country's recent history and politics. The National Party imposed apartheid in 1948, institutionalizing previous racial segregation. So as I understand it, the reason this was done is because after World War II, like, it was the end of the Age of Empires, and like, England and France lost a bunch of their imperial holdings, and basically, I think the National Party, the white South Africans, were afraid of, like, losing white hegemony in South Africa, so they 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 sort of made official what was previously like explicit but unofficial hold on guys i've got a lot of stuff to learn i'm gonna have to stick to this hold on (sighs) after a long and sometimes violent struggle the repeal of discriminatory laws began in the mid-1980s since 1994 when i was born all ethnic and linguistic groups have held political representation in the country's liberal democracy, which comprises a parliamentary republic and nine provinces. South Africa is often referred to as a rainbow nation. How nice. Regional influence, member of both the G20 and the Commonwealth of Nations. A developing country ranked 109 on the Human Development Index, the second highest in Africa. It's been classified as a newly industrialized country and as the third largest economy in Africa and the most industrialized and advanced economy in Africa overall and the 33rd largest in the world. Government accountability and quality of life have improved substantially since the end of apartheid. However, crime, poverty, and inequality remain widespread, with two-fifths of the total population being unemployed as in As of 2021, okay. While some three-fifths of the population lived under the poverty line in 2014, a quarter living under 215 a day. In the second highest human development index country in Africa. All them lazy bums. History. We're going to
1: skip ahead a little bit.
0: Prehistoric archaeology. People were here a long time ago. Like a long time ago. Portuguese exploration. 1487, Bartholomew Diaz led the first European voyage to land in southern Africa. Landed Cape Hope, okay. Dutch colonization. Early 17th century. Spice trade. British East India Company. Fuck these guys. Shipwrecked at the Cape for several months, able to survive by obtaining fresh water and meat from the natives, sowed vegetables in the fertile soil, Cape Town on the behalf of the Dutch East India Company. In time, the Cape became home to a large population of v- Vilden, also known as Vijbergers, free citizens, former company employees. They bought thousands of enslaved People and brought them to the fledgling colony from Indonesia, Madagascar, and parts of Eastern Africa. Ushered in a series of wars with the Zosa tribe. The Zosa wars of both sides competed for the pasture land near the Great Fish River, which the colonists wanted for grazing cattle. The fighting lasted for decades. British colonization and the Great Trek. Look up how to say it. No, we have to move fast. I didn't think all that other stuff would happen. Great Britain occupied Cape Town. Briefly returning to Dutch rule, but then the British ruled it again. Colonial wars, da di da da Continue to fight against the Zosa. Xhosa? The Zulu grew in power and expanded their territory under their leader, Shaka. Oh, Shaka Zulu. Shaka's warfare indirectly led to the Mifkain. Mifkain? In which one to two million people were killed, and the inland plateau was devastated and depopulated. Yeah. A period of heightened military conflict and migration associated with state formation and expansion in southern Africa. Neat.
1: Oh, God. We are getting a very simple understanding today of this issue.
0: Dutch control, discovery of diamonds and gold. In May 1876, President Thomas Francois Burgers of the South African Republic declared war against the Pedi people. King Sekhokune managed to defeat the army on the 1st of August. Another attack was repelled.
1: Peace treaty. The Anglo-Zulu War was fought between the British and the Zulu Kingdom.
0: The Zulu nation defeated the British at the Battle of Isandlwana. Eventually, though, Zululand lost the war, resulting in the termination of the Zulu nation's independence. One of the things they don't teach you in like high school history is that like. Africa may have gotten colonized, but they fought like hell. There was some fucking, there were some fucking fights, man. It was not like uh, the Europeans just marched in with our guns and won. Like there was literal centuries of 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 war to win over them. Um, yeah, yeah. They would sometimes win with like spears and shields. You know, even if your opponents have guns, spears can still stab you to death. The introduction of machine guns ended that. Yes, eventually the technological advantage uh, scales up. The Boer Boer? Republic successfully resisted British encroachments in the First Boer War using guerrilla warfare tactics, which were well-suited to local conditions. The British returned in greater numbers, and in the Second Boer War, Though they suffered heavy casualties through attrition, they were ultimately successful. Over 27,000 Boer women and children died in the British concentration camps. Independence. Anti-British policies among white South Africans focused on independence during the Dutch and British colonial years. Racial segregation was mostly informal, though some legislation were enacted to control the settlement and movement of indigenous people. Eight years after the Second Boer War, and after four years of negotiation, the South Africa Act of 1909 granted nominal independence while creating the Union of South Africa on the 31st of May 1910. The Union was a dominion that included the former territories, was there a free state. The Natives Land Act of 1913 severely restricted the ownership of land by blacks. At that stage, they controlled only 7% of the country. The amount of land reserved for indigenous people was later marginally increased. 1931, the Union became fully sovereign from the UK with the passage of the Statute of Westminster, which abolished the late powers of the Parliament of the United Kingdom to legislate on the country. Only three other African countries, Liberia, Ethiopia, and Egypt, had been independent prior to that point. In 1934, South African Party and National Party merged to form the United Party, seeking reconciliation between Afrikaners and English-speaking whites. In 1939, The party split over the entry of the Union into World War II as an ally to the UK, a move which the National Party followers strongly opposed. So they were an Afrikaner ethnic nationalist party, an ethnic group descendant from predominantly Dutch settlers. These guys are going to come up quite a lot. I'm pretty sure these guys are of a racial disposition, which we might call problematic. I think so the two big things here are that they hate the British and they hate the blacks. And in both both of these things probably made them not so anti Nazi, right? Yeah, the, the the two white factions here are the original Dutch settlers and then like the subsequent British settlers. And 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 that's the Afrikaners and the um the um the English speaking whites. Funnily enough, if I remember correctly, the fact that the Dutch Afrikaners uh, hated the British actually also spelled the downfall of Rhodesia in part because Rhodesia, now Zimbabwe, was like an ultra racist, like British people, colonist controlled white ethno state, kind of. Like it was like a colonial state in current Zimbabwe that was so racist that even England didn't want to defend it. And part of the reason that South Africa wasn't willing to defend them at the time was because the rhodesians were aggressively british and um the south africans had enough afrikaner dutch descendants that they just found them annoying literally like like there were there were enough powerful like afrikaners that they were just like yeah we don't like your british united kingdom Schweinhals, so uh no and um and and like it, it, you're it, as as has been the case many times before intra-European ethnic bias actually gets in the way of fucking over black people. Um, Which is great. You know? That's his Dutch accent. I don't know what the Dutch sound like. I know they speak German. Fuck you, shut up. Anyway. So they formed the United Party. However, the United Party split because of World War II because the Afrikaners hated the British that much. Okay. In 1948, the National Party, so again, the National Party, um, or the Dutch, the Afrikaners, was elected to power. It strengthened the racial segregation begun under Dutch and British colonial rule, taking Canada's Indian Act as a framework. The nationalist government classified all people into three races. Whites, blacks, and then Indians and colored people people of mixed race, and developed rights and limitations for each. The white minority, less than 20%, controlled the vastly larger black majority. The legally institutionalized segregation became known as apartheid. While whites enjoyed the highest standard of living in all of Africa, comparable to first world Western nations, the black majority remained disadvantaged by almost every standard, including income, education, housing, and life expectancy. The Freedom Charter, adopted in 1955 by the Congress Alliance, Demanded a non-racial society and an end to discrimination. Oh, how nice. Statement of core principle from the South African Congress Alliance, which is... An anti-apartheid political coalition formed in the 1950s. It was multiracial in makeup and committed to the principle of majority rule. Hey, it's the good guys. At least for now. I mean, stuff like this can change. In 1961, the country became a republic following a referendum only open to white voters, which narrowly passed. The British-dominated natal province largely voted against the proposal. Elizabeth II lost the title Queen of South Africa. Hi, Elizabeth II. Welcome back to relevance in the context of this. Briefly known as the Queen of South Africa, it seems. And the last governor general, Charles, uh, Wa- Charles Roberts Swart. Swart, became state president. As a concession to the Westminster system, the appointment of the president remained an appointment by parliament and was virtually powerless until P. W. Botha's Constitutional Act of 83, which eliminated the office of prime minister and instated a unique, strong presidency responsible to parliament. Pressured by other Commonwealth of Nations countries, South Africa withdrew from the organization in 1961 and rejoined it in 1994, which is when they ended apartheid. Okay. Despite opposition to apartheid both within and outside the country, the government legislated for a continuation of apartheid. The security forces cracked down on internal dissent and violence became widespread. With anti-apartheid organizations such as the African National Congress, the Azanian, Azan, People's Organization, and the Pan Africanist Congress carrying out guerrilla warfare and urban sabotage. It should be noted, by the way, as far as I'm concerned, that if you, because of your race or whatever, are in a country and you do not have any um, political representation, you're not allowed to vote. You're like. You're essentially, as far as I'm concerned, an occupied people, and violence is not only a necessary, but, like, inevitable product of this. Um, Like, of course, what is the difference between an occupied population and being controlled by a government that hates you and treats you as a second-class citizen and you have no voice in the government? What is the meaningful difference there, apart from the fact that the occupier has legalized their their occupation? Um, Of course there will be guerrilla warfare. The three rival resistance movements also engaged in occasional interfactional clashes as they jockeyed for domestic influence. Apartheid became increasingly controversial, and several countries began to boycott business with the South African government because of its racial policies. Interesting. These measures were later extended to international sanctions and the divestment of holdings by foreign investors. You guys have to understand, South Africa was so racist that countries sanctioned them over it. How often does that happen?
1: This this isn't today, this was decades ago. The end of apartheid.
0: The Mala Batini Declaration of Faith signed by Mangosuthu Buthelezi and Harry Schwartz in 1974. Enshrine the principles of peaceful transition of power and equality for all, the first of such agreements by black and white political leaders in South Africa. Ultimately, F.W. de Klerk opened bilateral discussions with the actual main character, Nelson Mandela, in 1993 for a transition of policies and government. Let's take a moment to learn a bit about Nelson Mandela, because learning about modern South Africa without learning about him feels like Yeah, you kind of need to. Um, Of course, we can't read the whole thing, but we're going to try our best here. Nelson Rolihala Rolihala Mandela was a South African anti-apartheid activist who served as the first president of South Africa from 1994 to 1999. Spoilers. He was the country's first black head of state and the first elected in a fully representative democratic election. His government focused on dismantling the legacy of apartheid by fostering racial reconciliation. Ideologically an African nationalist and socialist, he served as the president of the African National Congress. Ah, they really were the good guys. From 1991 to 1997, Ekosa Mandela was born into the Tembu royal family in Mezo, Union of South Africa. Bamboo people, Kosa speaking Bantu people. Small village on the banks of the Bashi River. Union of South Africa was the historical predecessor to the modern day republic. Okay. He studied law at the University of Fort Hare and the University of Witwatersrand before working as a lawyer in Johannesburg. There he became involved in anti-colonial and African nationalist politics, joining the ANC in 1943 and co-founding its Youth League in 1944. After the National Party's white-only government established apartheid, Mandela and the ANC committed themselves to its overthrow. Man, he was there from the beginning. He was appointed president of the ANC's Transvaal branch, rising to prominence for his involvement in the 1952 Defiance campaign, and the 1955 Congress of the People. He was repeatedly arrested for seditious activities and was unsuccessfully prosecuted in the 1956 treason trial. Influenced by Marxism, he secretly joined the banned South African Communist Party. Although initially committed to nonviolent protest, in association with the SACP, he co founded the militant Umkonto. The capital M is after the lowercase u. I don't even know how that's pronounced. Un conto we siswe. In 1961, and led a sabotage campaign against the government. He was arrested and imprisoned in 1962, and following the Rivonia trial, was sentenced to life imprisonment for conspiring to overthrow the state. Mandela served 27 years in prison split between Robben Island, Pulsmore Prison, and Victor Verster Prison. Amid growing, guys, I pronounce as best as I can, I'm trying, okay? I think it's better to try than to just go over everything in my Anglo accent. Amid growing domestic and international pressure and fears of racial civil war, President F.W. de Klerk released him in 1990. Mandela and de Klerk led efforts to negotiate an end to apartheid, which resulted in the 1994 multiracial general election in which Mandela led the ANC to victory and became president. Leading a broad coalition government which promulgated a new constitution, Mandela emphasized reconciliation between the country's racial groups and created the Truth and Reconciliation Committee to investigate past human rights abuses. Economically, his administration retained its predecessor's liberal framework, despite his own socialist beliefs, also introducing measures to encourage land reform, combat poverty, and expand healthcare services. Internationally, Mandela acted as mediator in the Pan Am Flight 103 bombing trial and served as Secretary General of the Non-Aligned Movement from 1998 to 1999. He declined a second presidential term and was succeeded by his deputy, Thabo Mbeki. Mbeki. Mandela became an elder statesman and focused on combating poverty and HIV slash AIDS through the charitable Nelson Mandela Foundation. Mandela was a controversial figure for much of his life. Although critics on the right denounced him as a communist terrorist and those on the far left deemed him too eager to negotiate and reconcile with apartheid supporters, he gained international acclaim for his activity. Globally recognized as an icon of democracy and social justice, he received more than 250 honors in his lifetime, including the Nobel Peace Prize. He is held in deep respect within South Africa, where he is often referred to by his Tembu clan name, Madiba, and described as the father of the nation. Difficult to imagine a person who is more main character than Nelson Mandela, who is more protagonist of the story. I want to learn more specifics. In the end of apartheid subsection, he encouraged foreign countries to support sanctions against the apartheid government. He met with President Francois Mitterrand in France, Pope John Paul II in the Vatican, and Thatcher in the United Kingdom. In the U.S., he met with President George H.W. Bush, addressed both houses of Congress, and visited eight cities, being particularly popular among the African American community. I wonder why. In Oh, I didn't mean to click that. Sorry. In Cuba he became friends with President Castro who he had long admired. He met President R. Venkataraman in India, President Suharto in Indonesia, and Prime Minister Mahathir Mohamad in Malaysia and Prime Minister Bob Hawke in Australia. He visited Japan but not the Soviet Union, a longtime ANC supporter. This is interesting to me. It seems as though Mandela, in my opinion quite intelligently, understood that the success of South Africa would hinge on his ability to collaborate with Western powers following the fall of the Soviet Union. This would have been before the Soviet Union properly fell. So despite being a socialist himself, he prioritized the well-being of the nation over his ideological biases and made an effort to endear himself to the countries whose South Africa's support would really rely on in the future. This is a very pragmatic decision. I think even though it hurts a little bit, it was probably a good one.
1: May 1990,
0: led a multiracial delegation. Lifted the presidential state of emergency at Johannesburg Conference. He gained funding for... Since... Muammar Gaddafi... Since, okay. Mandela's prospects for a peaceful transition were further damaged by an increase in black-on-black violence, particularly between ANC and Inkatha supporters in KwaZulu-Natal which resulted in thousands of deaths. Mandela met with Inkatha leader Boutilese, but the ANC prevented further negotiations on the issue. Mandela argued there was a third force within the state intelligence services fueling the slaughter of the people. This is not an unlikely possibility. What does the apartheid state controlled by racist whites do when they see black people fighting more and more strongly for majority rule? They fund infighting. It is a classic tactic. And openly blamed de Klerk, whom he increasingly distrusted, for the Sebo-King massacre. In September 1991, a national peace conference was held in Johannesburg, at which Mandela, Mottilesi, and de Klerk signed a peace accord, though violence continued. This massacre doesn't even mention it. Here. Violent clashes between South African security forces and their residents who are boycotting rent and service tariffs. The Convention for a Democratic South Africa began in December 1991 at the Johannesburg World Trade Center. Get out of there before it's too late. Attended by 228 delegates from 19 political parties. Although Cyril Ramaphosa led the ANC's delegation, Mandela remained a key figure. After de Klerk used the closing speech to condemn the ANC's violence, He took to the stage to denounce De Klerk as the head of an illegitimate, discredited minority regime. Damn! Dominated by the National Party and ANC, little negotiation was achieved. CODESA II was held in May 1992, in which De Klerk insisted that post-apartheid South Africa must use a federal system with a rotating presidency uh, to ensure the protection of ethnic minorities. So after ruling through apartheid, now the white people are like, no, no, we need to design the new government to protect us after you get democracy. Mandela opposed this, demanding a unitary system governed by majority rule. Following the Boipatong massacre of ANC activists by government-aided Inkatha militants, this happened in one night, 1992? The attackers were supporters of the Inkatha Freedom Party, the which is a, ah, I see, a right-wing political party. So this is a right-wing,
1: black African militant group. Well, anyway, they killed a bunch of people. 45 people died.
0: What do you think the odds are that the white, apartheid-driven government was in cahoots with the extremist right-wing black militant group in that provoking uh, black-on-black violence and causing infighting Uh, 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 within groups aligned against the uh, apartheid government would serve their greater interests. I don't know for sure. Following the Boipetong massacre of ANC activists by government-aided Inkata militants, I mean, this literally says they were aided by the white apartheid government, Mandela called off the negotiations before attending a meeting of the Organization of African Unity in Senegal which he called for a special session of the UN Security Council and proposed that a UN peacekeeping force be stationed in South Africa to prevent state terrorism. Calling for domestic mass action in August, the ANC organized the largest ever strike in South African history, and supporters marched on Pretoria. Following the Bisho massacre, in which 28 ANC supporters and one soldier were shot dead by the Siske Defense Force during a protest march, what is this group? The defense force of Siske, a Bantusan, or a territory, controlled by the apartheid regime. Okay, so this is a pro-apartheid militia, presumably a white militia. Mandela realized mass action was leading to further violence, and Mandela resumed negotiations in September. He agreed to do so on the condition that all political prisoners be released, that Zulu traditional weapons be banned. Ooh, that's a concession he probably didn't like and Zulu hostels would be fenced off. The latter two measures intended to prevent further Inkatha attacks, De Klerk reluctantly agreed. Oh no! Apparently, he wanted Zulu traditional weapons banned, and Zulu hostels fenced off, because those were the weapons and properties of the far-right Inkatha um, a, a black militant group that was apparently like kind of working with the white apartheid government. Interesting. So the so the Zulu supremacists here are like far right. So they they're like the ultra like return to tradition like far right fascist. Um, you know like we we don't support the ANC because we don't support democracy or degeneracy. You know like they would rather have fascism than racial equality, even if it was in their interest. That is a complicated situation. Yeah, yeah. This is this is not American politics. This is a whole. This, yeah, I am, I am an American. I am speed reading through this. This is, a, this is a whole different set of things. This is why I wanted to learn. De Klerk reluctantly agreed. The negotiations agreed that a multiracial general election would be held, resulting in a five-year coalition government of national unity and a constitutional assembly that gave the National Party continuing influence. The ANC also conceded to safeguarding the jobs of white civil servants such concessions brought about fierce internal criticism. The duo agreed on an interim constitution based on a liberal, democratic model guaranteeing separation of powers, creating a constitutional court, and including a U.S.-style Bill of Rights. It also divided the country into nine provinces, each with its own premier and civil service, a concession between De Klerk's desire for federalism and Mandela's for unitary government. Interesting. So here we can see a parallel to American governance. See? Um, thought you were going to flash us? No, I've just been sitting in the chair for a while, just shuffling my, uh, my shorts around. Anyway, here's a parallel we can see. De Klerk, the white apartheid South African government, he desires federalism, whereas Mandela wants unitary government. Isn't this a little bit similar to the way that Republicans will push for states' rights? No? That's what federalism is: breaking apart a single government uh, into federalized territories, like states. The reason why the white apartheid government wants federalism is because they want to keep some of their provinces. Hmm. Hmm. They want to keep some of these provinces more racist. They want to maintain white control in some specific parts of the country. You understand? In both cases, the conservatives make an effort to impose federalism as a way of denying majority rule. That's a parallel. Do you think federalism is inherently worse than a unitary state? No, but it is very vulnerable to this type of stuff. Federalism allows uh, some states to legalize weed when it's federally illegal, or legalize gay marriage when it's federally not recognized. Um... But uh, it it can also be a refuge for the worst people to consolidate power in some areas specifically, and um, keep those areas like consistently reactionary. The democratic progress was threatened by the concerned South Africans group. Oh oh, you know, you know it's going to be good with the word concerned. An alliance of black ethnic secessionist groups like. In Katha and far-right Afrikaner parties. In Oh, how interesting that the Zulu group and the Afrikaner far-right people are in alliance on this. In June 1993, one of the latter, the Afrikaner... Hmm. The Afrikaner Verstandsbewegung. Hmm. Why, why the German-sounding... Uh, hmm. Okay, they just call it a neo-Nazi party. Right, yeah, thank you hmm they attacked the i told you attacked the kempton park world trade center i told you it's dangerous to be in those following the murder of anc activist chris Haney, mandela made a publicized speech to calm rioting soon after appearing at a mass funeral in soweto for tambo who had died of a stroke in july 1993 both mandela and de klerk Visited the United States, independently meeting Bill Clinton, and each receiving a Liberty Medal. What a perfect representation of the Bill Clinton administration, giving the Liberty Medal to Mandela and the head of the apartheid government. You know, like, oh, you're both doing so good over there. Keep it up. (laughs) Fucking Clinton. (laughs) Soon after, Mandela and de Klerk were jointly awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in Norway influenced by Thabo Mbeki Mandela began meeting with big business figures and he played down his support for nationalization fearing he would scare uh, here it is fearing he would scare away much needed foreign investment although criticized by socialist ANC members he had been encouraged to embrace private enterprise by members of the Chinese and Vietnamese communist parties ah when when did deng
1: When? When did he take power?
0: Was it time? 83, I think. It was time. This was after the Sino-Soviet split and after China realized that they would fall apart. Oh, it was in the 70s. Yeah, this was after the Sino-Soviet split and after China realized that it would fall apart unless it was capitalist. (laughs) Just flatly. The reforms were in the 80s, I think he was earlier. Okay, the point I'm trying to make is, at this point in time, China, and to a lesser extent Vietnam, have already embraced the idea of market reforms as a way of keeping themselves uh, from, from being totally reliant on uh, uh, the Soviet Union for aid and resources. So, okay, okay, it, yeah, this fits. Hey, guy. I mean, this was happening right as the Soviet Union was collapsing, you know? General Election With the election set for the 27th of April, 1994, the ANC began campaigning, opening a 100 election offices and orchestrating people's forums across the country at which Mandela could appear as a popular figure with great status among black South Africans. The ANC campaigned on a reconstruction and development program to build a million houses in five years, introduce universal free education, and extend access to water and electricity. The party's slogan was a better life for all, though it was not explained how this development would be funded. Who cares? <laughs> With the exception of the Weekly Mail and the New Nation, South Africa's press opposed Mandela's election, fearing continued ethnic strife instead of supporting the National or Democratic Party. Mandela devoted much time to fundraising. Never understood why tankies hate Vosh for advocating market socialism when they simp for China, which has done market reforms. Because they're fascists. China remains fascist. Uh, Its capitalism is bourgeois and authoritarian in nature, whereas the market reforms that I want are proletarian through worker control. Um, With the exception of the Weekly Mail and the New Nation, South Africa's press opposed Mandela's election. Hearing continued ethnic strife, hmm, I wonder what the race of the people who uh, published the press was. Instead, supporting the National or Democratic Party, Mandela devoted much time to fundraising for the ANC, touring North America, Europe, and Asia to meet wealthy donors, including former supporters of the apartheid regime. He also urged a reduction in the voting age from 18 to 14. Rejected by the ANC, this policy became the subject of ridicule. Younger people more likely to be left leaning, I imagine. Concerned that COSAG would undermine the election, particularly in the wake of the conflict in Bafuthotswana and the Shell House Massacre. Jesus. Political crisis which began after Lucas Mangope, the president of Bafuthotswana, a South African Bantustan created under apartheid, attempted to crush widespread labor unrest. It has been remembered largely for the televised shooting of three Afrikaner Wirstanbewegung militants by a black police officer. Oh, based. A cop killing Nazis? Couldn't happen in America. This proved to be a public relations disaster for the AWB and demoralized the movement, which was then intent on preserving white minority rule. And the Shell House Massacre. A shooting in the Shell House, the headquarters of the African National Congress in central Johannesburg. I can give that footage if you want. No, it's okay. Mandela met with Afrikaner politicians and generals, including P. W. Botha, Pik Botha. No relation, and Constant Viljoen, persuading many to work within the democratic system. With de Klerk, he also convinced Inkatha's Bhutlezi to enter the elections rather than launch a war of secession. Wow. He convinced a militant ethno-nationalist group to work within the system rather than launch a war of secession? Mandela was an insane diplomat. This guy is going all over the place. Jesus Christ, I wonder how many languages he spoke. As leaders of the two major parties, de Klerk and Mandela appeared on a televised debate. Though de Klerk was widely considered the better speaker at the event, Mandela's offer to shake his hand surprised him leading some commentators to deem it a victory for Mandela. The election went ahead with little violence, although an AWB cell killed 20 with a car bomb. As widely expected, the ANC won a sweeping victory, taking 63% of the vote, just short of the two-thirds majority needed, to unilaterally change the constitution. The ANC was also victorious in seven provinces, with Inkata and the National Party each taking one. Interesting. So there were nine provinces, seven of which the ANC took, one taken by the insane far-right ethno-nationalist Zulu descendants, and one taken by the National Party, a.k.a. the Afrikaners. Mandela voted at the Olanga High School in Durban, and though the ANC's victory assured his election as president, he publicly accepted that the election had been marred by instances of fraud and sabotage. Interesting. He accepted, but didn't accuse. So he was saying, yes, there was fraud, but not in like a, I got cheated out of a better victory kind of way. That's interesting. More stuff that couldn't happen in America today. Good night, Charlotte. The newly elected National Assembly's first act was to formally elect Mandela as South Africa's first black chief executive. His inauguration took place on the 10th of May, 1994, televised to a billion viewers globally. The event was attended by 4,000 guests, including world leaders from a wide range of geographic and ideological backgrounds. Mandela headed a government of national unity dominated by the ANC, which had no experience of governing by itself. Yeah, the ANC was just like a protest group. They went from a protest group to a political party. That's got to be really difficult. but containing representatives from the National Party and Inkata. under the interim constitution Inkata and the National Party were entitled to seats in the government by virtue of winning at least 20 seats in keeping with earlier agreements both De Klerk and Thabo Mbeki were given the position of deputy president although Mbeki had not been his first choice for the job Mandela grew to rely heavily on him throughout his pe- presidency allowing him to shape policy details moving into the presidential office in to, 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 to. Sorry. Um, in Cape Town, Mandela allowed de Klerk to retain the presidential residence in the Grootshoer estate. Interesting. After so long of apartheid, Mandela did not want the presidential estate. Probably because for many people in the country, it was associated with white minority rule so by becoming its occupant, it would sort of symbolically enforce the idea that nothing had really changed. It makes sense to not take it. Instead, settling into the nearby Westbrook Manor, which he renamed Genedendal, meaning Valley of Mercy in Afrikaans, retaining his Hutton home, he also had a house built in his home village of Kunu, which he visited regularly, walking around the area, meeting with locals, and judging tribal disputes. Wow. Aged 76, he faced various ailments, and although exhibiting continued energy, he felt isolated and lonely. He often entertained celebrities, Michael Jackson, Whoopi Goldberg, and the Spice Girls, and befriended ultra-rich businessmen like Harry Oppenheimer of Anglo-American. He also met with Lizzie, On her March 1995 state visit to South Africa, which earned him strong criticism from ANC anti-capitalists. Despite his opulent surroundings, Mandela lived simply, donating a third of his annual income to the Nelson Mandela's Children's Fund, which he had founded in 1995. Although dismantling press censorship, speaking out in favor of freedom of the press and befriending many journalists, Mandela was critical of much of the country's media noting that it was overwhelmingly owned and run by middle-class whites and believing that it focused too heavily on scaremongering about crime. Yeah, we're seeing some parallels here again. In December 1994, he published Long Walk to Freedom, an autobiography based around a manuscript he had written in prison, augmented by interviews conducted with American journalist Richard Stengel. I have not read this, but I've heard that it is worth reading. In late 1994 he attended the 49th conference of the ANC in Bloemfontein at which a more militant national executive was elected among them Winnie Mandela although she expressed an interest in reconciling Nelson initiated divorce proceedings in August 1995 interesting by 1995 he had entered into a relationship with Gracia Michelle a Mozambican political activist 27 years his junior, you go, you go, my man, who was the widow of former president Samora Michel. They had first met in July 1990 when she was still in mourning, but their friendship grew into a partnership with Michelle accompanying him on many of his foreign visits. She turned down Mandela's first marriage proposal, wanting to retain some independence and dividing her time between Mozambique and Johannesburg. Presiding over the transition from apartheid minority rule to a multicultural democracy, bit weird. She was like 50. Guys, chill. She's like 50. And she gets to be partner to like one of the most famous world leaders ever. It's fine. It's fine. Presiding over the transition from apartheid minority to a multicultural democracy, Mandela saw national reconciliation as the primary task of his presidency. Having seen other post colonial African economies damaged by the departure of white elites, this is a huge problem. Uh, A White flight, capital flight. What has happened uh, in American cities has happened in African countries, where the white minority will oppress the majority for centuries, and then when they realize they no longer get to basically own slaves, the white people will flee to another country with all their wealth, uh, essentially robbing the country of all of its wealth and then fleeing, not even leaving with it governance or any basic institutions. Um, It's a Serious problem. Mandela worked to reassure South Africa's white population that they were protected and represented in the Rainbow Nation. This is a smart move. Although his government of national unity would be dominated by the ANC, he attempted to create a broad coalition by appointing De Klerk as deputy president, and appointing other national party officials as ministers for agriculture, environment, minerals, and energy, as well as naming Buthalesi as minister for home affairs. Other cabinet positions were taken by ANC members. Let me see. Mandela's relationship with de Klerk was strained. Mandela thought de Klerk was intentionally provocative, and de Klerk felt he was being intentionally humiliated by the president. Yeah, something tells me that a white guy who ruled over apartheid would feel sort of intentionally humiliated by being treated like an equal by a black man. In January 1995, Mandela heavily chastised De Klerk for awarding amnesty to 3,500 police officers just before the election and later criticized him for defending former Minister of Defense Magnus Milan when the latter was charged with murder. Mandela personally met with senior figures for the apartheid regime, including lawyer Percy Utar and Hendrik Verwoerd's widow Betsy Shumbi, also laying a wreath by the statue of Afrikaner hero Daniel Theron. Emphasizing personal forgiveness and reconciliation, he announced that courageous people do not fear forgiving for the sake of peace. He encouraged black South Africans to get behind the previously hated national rugby team, the Springboks, as South Africa hosted the 1995 Rugby World Cup. Mandela wore a Springbok shirt at the fun, uh, at the final against New Zealand, and after the Springboks won the match, Mandela presented the trophy to Captain Francois Pienaar, an Afrikaner. Wow, that's a big PR win right there. This was widely seen as a major step in the reconciliation of white and black South uh, Africans. As de Klerk later put it, Mandela won the hearts of millions of white rugby fans. Mandela's efforts at reconciliation assuaged the fears of white people, but drew criticism from more militant black people. Among the latter was his estranged wife Winnie who accused the ANC of being more interested in appeasing the white community than in helping the black majority. Uh, this is a um In the mid 1980s Madikizela Mandela exerted a reign of terror and was at the center of an orgy of violence. This woman was like A bad militant, right? Yeah, like corrupt, theft, fraud. Mandela, the wife, endorsed the necklacing of alleged police informers and apartheid government collaborators. Necklacing being, of course, uh, putting a rubber tire drenched in petrol around somebody's chest and arms and setting it on fire. Professor Flowers, we have it. We We finally found it. So this is like a so this so this is what we would call like a militant anti-white um, ANC activist, right? So this this is somebody whose militancy gets in the way of progress. Um, their militancy goes beyond like being an active advocate for a better world, and uh, is, is 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 tainted by by uh, you know personal bias um, and hatred. Mandela oversaw the formation of a Truth and Reconciliation Committee to investigate crimes committed under apartheid by both government and the ANC, appointing Tutu as its chair. To prevent the creation of martyrs, the commission granted individual amnesties in exchange for testimony of crimes committed during the apartheid era. Wow. Dedicated in February 1996, it held two years of hearings detailing rapes, torture, bombings, and assassinations before issuing its final report in 1998. Both de Klerk and Mbeki appealed to have parts of the report suppressed, though only de Klerk's appeal was successful. Hmm. Mandela praised the commission's work, probably because many of the people who committed crimes were still part of Mbeki's and de Klerk's factions. Like, in government at the time. Mandela praised the commission's work, stating that it had helped us move away from the past to concentrate on the present and the future. Mandela's administration... Inherited a country with a huge disparity in wealth and services between black and white communities. Of a population of 40 million, around 23 million lacked electricity or adequate sanitation. Okay. And 12 million lacked clean water supplies. 2 million children not in school. And a third of the population illiterate. Have a good one, Gully. There was 33% unemployment. That hasn't changed. And just under half the population lived under the poverty line. In adopting his neoliberal and market economic reforms, Mandela's government adhered to the Washington Consensus advocated for by the World Bank and International Monetary Fund. Let's see how it went. Under Mandela's presidency, welfare spending increased by 13% in 1996, 13% in 1997, and 7% in 1998. The government introduced parity in grants for communities, including disability grants, child maintenance grants, and old age pensions, which had previously been set at different levels for South Africa's different racial groups. In 1994, free healthcare was introduced for children under six and pregnant women, a provision extended to all those using primary level public sector healthcare services in 1996. By the 1999 election, the ANC could boast that due to their policies, three million people were connected to telephone lines, 1.5 million children were brought into the education system, 500 clinics were upgraded or constructed, 2 million people were connected to the electricity grid, water access was extended to 3 million people, and three quarters of a million houses were constructed, housing nearly 3 million people. The Land Reform Act three of 1996 safeguarded the rights of labor tenants living on farms where they grew crops or grazed livestock. This legislation ensured that such tenants could not be evicted without a court order or if they were over the age of 65. Recognizing that arms manufacturing was a key industry for the South African economy, Mandela endorsed the trade in weapons but brought in tighter regulations surrounding arms corps to ensure that South African weaponry was not sold to authoritarian regimes. Wow, that's more than we do! Under Mandela's administration, tourism was increasingly promoted, becoming a major sector in the South African economy. Critics like Edwin Cameron accused Mandela's government of doing little to stem the HIV AIDS pandemic in the country. By 1999, 10% of South Africa's population were HIV positive. Mandela later admitted he had personally neglected the issue, in part due to public reticence in discussing issues surrounding sex in South Africa, and that he had instead left the issue for Mbeki to deal with. I'm guessing that. Part of this is cultural conservatism, and part of this might be that since he still feels that the upper middle class whites have a stranglehold on cultural power, the idea of black people being in charge of the government, and then like, they're talking about AIDS. Think of the way that racist white people talk about AIDS in Africa, right? Like, if a bunch of, like, to the white press, like, Mandela takes charge, like, now he's trying to get all the blacks to keep from spreading the AIDS, you know, like, I can... I can see how Mandela might have thought that that would be a very difficult line to go down but I obviously disagree with his decision to avoid the topic anyway Mandela also received criticism for failing to sufficiently combat crime South Africa had one of the world's highest crime rates remember crime is committed in large part due to income inequality South Africa is was and still is, one of the most unequal countries in the world. You have white South Africans who live like, like, like me, like, like, like first world Westerners in major cities, and then you have black South Africans who literally like are illiterate and don't have electricity. Under conditions like this, crime is inevitable. And the activities of international crime syndicates in the country grew significantly throughout the decade mandela's administration was perceived as having failed to deal with the problem of corruption as well further problems were caused by the exodus of thousands of skilled white south africans from the country unfortunately to an extent there's just nothing you can do about this these fuckers are racist they grew up thinking black people are subhuman they still think it they don't want to be ruled by black people Uh, And they're going to take a lot of money and a lot of talent with them. Who were escaping from the increasing crime rates, higher taxes, and the impact of positive discrimination toward black people in employment. That's uh, uh, um, um, affirmative action, essentially. This exodus resulted in a brain drain, and Mandela criticized those who left. At the same time, South Africa experienced an influx of millions of illegal migrants from poorer parts of Africa. Although public opinion toward these illegal immigrants was generally unfavorable, characterizing them as disease-spreading criminals who are a drain on resources, well, Mandela called on South Africans to embrace them as brothers and sisters. God, he's so cool. This section deals with foreign affairs, and I am already running low on time. So I am going to skim this very quickly, because I'm more interested in South Africa itself. Urged India and Pakistan to end the Kashmiri conflict. Cut recognition of Taiwan while under pressure of the PRC. To be fair, America did the same thing. Close relationship with Indonesian President Suharto.
1: Truly a renaissance man.
0: Okay, we're now leading into withdrawing from politics. I am interested in learning about South Africa, not the life and death of Nelson Mandela. I'll just finish with this. After suffering from a prolonged respiratory infection, Mandela died on the 5th of December, 2013, at the age of 95. Surrounded by his family, Zuma publicly announced his death on television. Proclaiming 10 days of national mourning, a memorial service held at Johannesburg FNB Stadium on the 10th of December and the 8th of December as a national day of prayer and reflection. Mandela's body laid in state from the 11th to 13th of December at the Union buildings in Pretoria and a state funeral was held on the 15th of December. Approximately 90 representatives of foreign states traveled to South Africa to attend memorial events. It was later revealed that about 300 million rand, about $20 million, originally earmarked for humanitarian development projects had been redirected to finance the funeral. That's not good. The media was awash with tributes and reminiscences, while images of tributes to Mandela proliferated across social media. His $4.1 estate, that's it? Man, most leaders with this kind of influence and power would have been like on their private island was left to his widow, other family members, staff, and educational institutions. Man, he even split it up to uh, even charity then. Well, history has seen few men as loved and respected. We're back to South Africa now. And the end of apartheid. Now, we did read a lot of this in the Nelson Mandela section. I'm more interested now in what it looks like today. In post-apartheid South Africa, unemployment remained high. While many blacks have risen to middle or upper classes, the overall unemployment rate of black people worsened between 1994 and 2003 by official metrics, but declined significantly using expanded definitions. Poverty among whites, which was previously rare, increased. Well, that's to be expected, right? The government struggled to achieve the monetary and fiscal discipline to ensure both redistribution of wealth and economic growth the un human development index rose steadily until the mid-1990s then fell from 1995 to 2005 before recovering its 1995 peak in 2013. the fall is in large part attributable to the south african hiv aids pandemic which saw South African life expectancy fall from a high point of 62 years to a low of 53 in 2005, and the failure of the government to take steps to address the pandemic in its early years. In May 2008, riots left over 60 people dead. The Center on Housing Rights and Evictions estimated over 100,000 people were driven from their homes. The targets were mainly legal and illegal migrants and refugees seeking asylum, But a third of the victims were south african citizens in a 2006 survey the south african migration project concluded south africans are more opposed to immigration than any other national group this is to be expected to an extent africa is a desperately poor continent south africa has a relatively large amount of wealth um that means that many of the migrants that they're going to get aren't just going to be poor they're going to be like illiterate with no skills right the illegal immigrants that we get from mexico aren't no skill uh illiterate immigrants right um they speak spanish uh they write you know they can write they the communication is taken for granted a lot of them have basic conversational english um and a lot of them have like basic job skills as well i'm guessing here but i have to assume that illegal migrants from Zimbabwe, Burundi, the Congo, Rwanda, Eritrea, Ethiopia, and Somalia, these migrants are probably of worse class character. However, there is no doubt that much of this disdain for these migrants was motivated by racism. I just want to be clear that I'm not endorsing in any way the xenophobia. I'm only saying that South Africa is a country that has legitimate claim to the statement these illegal migrants are destroying our economy, far more so than the U.S., where our illegal immigrants do nothing but enrich our economy because of, well, it's America. We have so much here. Competition over jobs, business opportunities, public services, and housing has led to tension between refugees and host communities. While xenophobia in South Africa is still a problem, the UN High Commissioner for Refugees in 2011 reported that recent violence had not been as widespread as initially feared. Nevertheless, South Africa continues to grapple with racial issues. One of the proposed solutions has been to pass legislation, such as the pending hate crimes and hate speech bills, to uphold South Africa's ban on racism and commitment to equality. Oh, well, how nice it would be to simply ban racism. In the most recent election held on the 8th of May, 2019, the ANC won 58% of the vote and 230 seats, while the main opposition, the Democratic Alliance, won 21% of the vote and 84 seats. The Economic Freedom Fighters, founded by Julius Malema, former president of the ANC Youth League, who was later expelled from the ANC, won 11% of the votes and 44 seats. The ANC has been the governing political party in South Africa since the end of apartheid. So this is a unique situation where you have a parliament, but no prime minister. You have a presidency who is both head of state and government. Let's look at the recent election. The leader of the ANC in the recent election is Cyril Ramaphosa. Uh, He is the fifth democratically elected president of South Africa and the president of the ANC, which is, of course, the leading uh, parliamentary group. Secretary-General under Nelson Mandela, Deputy President to President Jacob Zuma, uh, Chairman of the National Planning Committee. He has been called a skilled negotiator and strategist who acted as the ANC's chief negotiator during South Africa's transition to democracy. That's nice. This guy is an inheritor of Nelson Mandela's legacy. I like that. Ramaphosa was Nelson Mandela's choice for future president. Nice. He is also a businessman worth over $450 million with 31 properties, previously held notable ownership in companies such as McDonald's South Africa, chair of the board for MTN, and member of the board for Loanmen. Man, he must be a good negotiator to be nearly a billionaire as a black South African. Jesus. Despite his credentials as an important proponent of his country's peaceful transition to democracy, he has also been criticized for the conduct of his business interests. Although he has never been indicted for illegal activity in any of these controversies, controversial business dealings include his joint venture with Glencore that's an Anglo-Swiss multinational commodity trading firm and allegations of benefiting illegally from coal deals with Eskom which he has staunchly denied. Um... On uh, in the fifteenth of August, he called for action against the Americana Miner strike, which he called dastardly criminal conduct that needed concomitant action to be taken. He later admitted and regretted his involvement in the act and said it could have been avoided if contingency plans had been made prior to the labor strike. I don't support this, however, how often do people admit that they were wrong to do something like that? That's not common, so I think. This here, this here is the is the good and the bad of Nelson Mandela's strategy. Despite being a socialist himself, Nelson Mandela cozied up to neoliberals the world round so that South Africa would have footing in the world rather than being yet another like um deprived, isolatory like Juche, you know fucking uh like wannabe socialist country. And there are advantages to this. One of the disadvantages is that the ANC is now led by a near-billionaire who is not a socialist. Uh, we, we, the socialism of the ANC has uh, gone. So that is out. Mandela uh, traded away his socialist values for the future of South Africa. And we got a the future of South Africa, maybe, uh, but we did lose the socialism in the process. This is difficult and unfortunate. Uh, I think that Mandela was right to make many concessions because I genuinely believe that if he hadn't, the collapse would have been far worse than what we see under neoliberal rule. Um, You know, there are certainly things worse than neoliberal rule. It is a lose-lose situation here, and I think that many of his decisions were justifiable. If I was more an expert on what he had done, maybe I would disagree with some specific stuff, but again, I'm trying my best here. Though I'm very happy we're doing this research. I am learning a lot today. I'll keep this guy up because he's currently the head of South Africa. Now I will look at Musi Maimane, who is the leader of the Democratic Alliance. I'm trying here, guys. He's the former leader of the DA in the... Oh, sorry, that doesn't mean district attorney, it means Democratic Alliance. In the Johannesburg City Council and DA National Spokesperson. In 2011, he was elected to be the DA Johannesburg mayoral candidate. All right, well, what are his politics? Let's see.
1: Politics? Um, Okay, I'll look at the party that he represents then. Um,
0: Here. The Democratic Alliance of South Africa, a centrist party. It has been attributed both center-left and center-right policies. It is a member of Liberal International and the Africa Liberal Network. Uh, the DA traces its roots, to the founding of the anti-apartheid progressive party in 1959, with many mergers and name changes between that time and the present. The DA ideologically shows a variety of liberal tendencies, including social liberalism, classical liberalism, and conservative liberalism. All right. The party draws its support predominantly from Afrikaans and English-speaking people. Over 80% of its voters, people aged over 35, more than 65%, and white people over 50%. So, let's be real. This is the party of the Afrikaners, the boomers, and the racists. It may be currently headed by a black guy, but like, wow, that coalition building. Yeah. So this is, um, yeah. The moral intern, yeah. Yeah, the cold-cut dudes are super funny
1: for sure. Interesting. Alright, and now we look at the third group here. The
0: EFF. The Economic Freedom Fighters. Headed by Julius Malema. You can tell they're far left because he has a beret in his Wikipedia picture. Julius Malema is a South African politician and activist who is a member of Parliament and the leader of the Economic Freedom Fighters, a left-wing party which he founded. Oh, which he founded in 2013. He served as president of the African National Congress Youth League from 2008 to 2012. Malema was a, was a member of the African National Congress from the age of nine until his expulsion from the party. How do you be a member at the age of nine until his expulsion? At the age of 31, what did he do? Julius rose to prominence as the supporter of ANC president and later president of South Africa, Jacob Zuma, uh, who followed after Mandela, or some time after. He was described by both Zuma and the premier of Limpopo province, Kessel Mathale, as the future leader of South Africa. Less favorable portraits paint him as a reckless populist, with the potential to destabilize South Africa and to spark racial conflict. He was convicted of hate. This, this is the guy the Nazi was complaining about. This is the guy who he was saying, this guy screamed, kill all white people. This is the guy, this is the man that he was complaining about. This is why we do our research, convicted of hate speech. Wait, wait, he said this guy wasn't convicted of hate speech. The Nazi was saying over and over, uh yeah they didn't convict him it says right here he was convicted twice for hate speech and again convicted after singing shoot the boar a decision upheld on appeal he was convicted three times and kicked out of the leading party god this is why i wanted to do that. if i knew like oh my god man I can't believe the Nazi was just bald facedly, li- not just lying, telling the opposite of the truth. In 2012, Malema was charged with fraud, money laundering, and racketeering. After numerous postponements, the case was dismissed by the courts in 2015 due to excessive delays by the National Prosecuting Authority, leading to perceptions that the charges were politically motivated. However, Afrikaner rights group Afreform announced in 2018 that it would mount a private prosecution of Malema on the corruption charges. Okay. So, I'm I'm guessing this is like black separatist juice right here. This guy's got quite a Wikipedia page and he's also quite young, which tells me that he's going to be a force in South African politics for a long time. Now, I want to make it clear, okay? Here in America, black separatism has no place and no justification. South Africa, while I still do not believe it is a good road forward, there is a very 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 different recent past that might motivate people to think differently. However, I do not believe that black separatism is an acceptable political line to take in South Africa. I do not believe it will be. I don't believe it's good for white people or black people there. I don't believe it's good at all. Um, I think it, it would simply drive out white wealth and leave South Africa in the same place that it has uh, so many other African countries found themselves. I don't think it's fair to white residents, even if they're racist, to judge them for their ethnicity or their race or to be uh, politically biased against them. You know, I I, I do believe in the egalitarianism thing. Um, we will see. How much are this man's politics motivated by genuine uh, African nationalism, the good kind, um, and left populism, and how many of them are just like, I am the far right, but for black people? Let us find out. Comments on white genocide, Donald Trump and the Jews. We'll get there. We will get there. Seems some relatively complicated stuff here. On the 3rd of April, 2010, Malema visited Zimbabwe in what was described as a visit on indigenization. Indigenization. Oh, I don't think I've ever seen that word in text before. He was expected to meet the president of Zimbabwe, Robert Mugabe, who's insane. Upon landing in Harare, Malema was greeted by ZANU-PF supporters as well as Zimbabwe's youth and indigenization minister, Sevior Kasukuere and Zanu PF Youth Chairman Absolom Sikosana, as well as geez, Zimbabwean business figures who had risen to prominence in recent years. During the visit, Malema criticized Svan Girai as an ally of imperialists and called for the Mugabeist-style seizure of mines and farms in South Africa. Youth organizations in Zimbabwe criticized Malema's visit, citing his controversial racial statements and alleged corruption. Malema's comments during the visit sparked fear that South Africa would follow Zimbabwe's chaotic landform example. Guys, do not do what Mugabe did. He is not a great example of how to run a decolonized country. Just letting you know. Um... He did a little trolling, yeah. Incident involving BBC journalist. At his Johannesburg media briefing covering his visit to Zimbabwe, Malema was involved in an incendiary incident with Jonah Fisher. I've heard that name, a BBC journalist. Malema had been criticizing the movement for democratic change as having offices in affluent Santon when BBC journalist Jonah Fisher commented that Malema himself lived in Santon. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that is a good rebuttal right there. Malema lashed out at Fisher after the latter dismissed Malema's comments as rubbish. Well, hello, Hassan. Wait.
2: Even when the ANC was underground in exile, we had our internal underground forces fighting for freedom, and we have never spoken from uh, 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 exile. You see, let me tell you, before you, you, you are cha let me tell you, this is, a, this is a this is a building of a revolutionary party, and you know nothing about the revolution. So, so, so they, yeah, they have, they have wait, yeah, person, you yeah, you behave or else you jump. <laughs> yeah, you don't laugh. Uh, chief, can you get security to remove this thing?
0: This is not screaming authentic left populist to me.
2: If, if you're not going to behave, you're going to call security to take you out. This is not a, a, a newsroom, this. This is a revolutionary house. And you don't come here with a, that tendency. Don't come here with that white tendency. Not yet.
0: It's calling him a white You can boy. do it
2: somewhere else. Not yet. Even when the ANC was underground in exile, we had our internal underground forces fighting for freedom. In- and we have never spoken from uh, 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 exile. You see, you, uh, let me tell you, before you, you, you are... Judge-
0: now, this to me just reads a strong, man. Um, he's, he's, he's doing the meme. He's doing the thing where, like... Yeah, it is a good accent. He's doing the thing where, like, I, I i will I will engage in like petty like ethnic conflict mongering um and 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 sort of like race war baiting but i but because I'm of the oppressed group, like I will frame it as revolutionary um as as opposed to it being just like the behavior of the far right
1: but done from.
0: See, he said they can insult us here from air-conditioned offices of Santon, and the BBC journalist just said, you live in Santon. And then he ranted for two minutes. This is Trump behavior. You guys realize that, right? Like, Trump says something obviously hypocritical. A journalist says four words, and he spends two, like, minutes raging about it while asking them to leave, like, getting security to toss them out. Like, yeah, this isn't... Yeah, that's not... President Jacob Zuma... The guy with whom he previously got along publicly criticized Malema's behavior, saying the manner in which a BBC journalist was treated at an ANC Youth League press conference is regrettable and unacceptable, regardless of any alleged provocation on his part, and said he had spoken to Malema about his conduct by telephone. Malema remained defiant after Zuma's rebuke. You got to be careful with these guys, man. Like, revolutionary action, decolonial action is good, but a lot of people are motivated to decolonization using the same logic as the colonizer, that they're trying to establish their own supremacist group. Um, they just happen to be on like the, on the, the underdog side now, you know, you have to be careful. Disci- disciplinary procedures by the ANC. Malema faced a hostile disciplinary committee on the 3rd of May, 2010. He entered into a plea bargain and three of the charges against him were dropped. He pleaded guilty to criticizing Zuma after Zuma publicly censured him, was ordered by the disciplinary committee to make a public apology for his conduct, a fine which was to be donated to a youth development project, and to attend anger management classes.. He was also warned of suspension from the ANC if he reoffended within two years. Malema complied, apologizing unconditionally stating that he accepted that his conduct in public utterances should at all times reflect respect and restraint. Nationalization and land distribution. We know people get mad about South African land reform. Malema became a vocal advocate of nationalizing South African mines. His opinions on nationalization are shared by South Africa's large national union of mine workers. Dope. He then advocated the seizure of land without compensation. Okay, guys, I just want to let you know, I don't support this, like, under ba- Unless you're literally, like, the revolutionary army taking over, um, I don't support this, like, at all. This is just a fucking spite thing. Even if the people who own properties are, like, pieces of shit or whatever, this, like, like unless you're literally, like, conquering the state or, like, fighting against the bourgeois, like, Red Army versus White Army shit, this is bad policy. It does nothing, nothing but sow hatred. I, th- I've just, I've never heard of this like working when you're already a part of a democratic society. This violates the principles of a democratic society. Um. At a 16th of June Youth Day celebration, um, Malema accused white South Africans of stealing land and again advocated for the redistribution of land without compensation. In 2010, Malema led a youth delegation to Venezuela to study that country's nationalization program. Campaign enthusiastically for the ANC. In Malema's home province of Limpopo, a fiercely contested race for the Youth League presidency had been expected. Um, the Limpopo meeting experienced a vigorous discussion on occasion degenerating into violence. Malema's rivals and journalists were reportedly ejected by the police at the behest of Malema. Hmm. Another disciplinary review by ANC. His supporters held a rally in the center of Johannesburg that turned into a violent confrontation. Some protesters, yep, held placards with slogans like South Africa for Blacks Only, which caused many disapproving reactions from the black community. Malema submitted an application to have all charges against him revoked. The ANC National Disciplinary Committee met on the 31st of August and 1st of September 2021 to deliberate on this application. The NDC dismissed Malema's application to have his charges squashed. He was found guilty of contravening Rules 25.5C and I of ANC Constitution for expressing views at a press conference at the ANC Youth League, which sought to portray the ANC government. To... I, don't, I don't know the South African legal system. I'm very sorry. Uh, I, I don't know how it works. Um, I'm not going to find out today either. This is the shit that fuels the far-right racists here, and it's so infuriating. No, this isn't the shit that fuels the far-right racists. This is the far-right racists. He's doing the thing. He's just doing it from the disempowered. The ideology of racism does not, uh, is, is not counteracted by doing it in opposition to itself, you know? It remains the same ideology. Um... Now, don't get me wrong. I am very sympathetic to anti-white bias from black South Africans. If ever there has been a time for it to be earned, if ever a group of black people have had an immediate reason to feel that way, it, w- it is there. It is now. But that doesn't make it right. It's as simple as that. You can be as sympathetic as you want for their biases, and I am. But that doesn't make them right. And acting in them remains wrong. Malema stated his league would establish a Botswana command team, which would work towards uniting all opposition forces in Botswana to oppose what he had called the puppet regime led by the Botswana Democratic Party. Wait, he admitted that he was using his youth league to try to form a militia to overtake the Botswana... Okay, all right. My man's got revolutionary brain. (laughs) He's got the beret. You know, I respect it. Um... Stripped of his title and party membership. October 2021 Zimbabwe visit. Malema visited Zimbabwe in October 2020. uh, Sorry, not 2021, 2012, 2012. Um, Johannesburg Mail and Guardian quoted the Zimbabwean Herald online in a story saying Malema had told the meeting. He said the youths in South Africa were calling for whites to surrender land and mineral resources they hold. Because when they came from Europe, they did not carry any land into South Africa. What we are asking is for them to surrender our minerals because they did not come with any minerals. We want that land and those minerals for free because they never paid for those minerals. I'm really sorry, but it does not work this way. You don't get to steal stuff from people in a democracy because 300 years ago they came here by... I just, I don't... There are so many good ways of doing this. That's the frustrating thing. There are so many ethical, practical, functional, effective, revolutionary ways of doing land reform without literally just saying, like, run, white boy, run, as you, like, chase him off the property, like, away from the mine with a shotgun or something. Go, white boy, go! As he's, he's, he's like, <gasps> like, getting, getting away, you know? They're like, there are better ways of doing it than that. Malama said whites had committed murder to get land. Well, yeah, of course. Actually, they killed people to get the land and the minerals. We are not giving them money when we take the land back, because it will be like we are thanking them with money for killing our people. Again, this logic only makes sense if you think of all races as a homogenous block. Remember what I said? The logic of the racism, it's present here. Identical, only reflected. A mirror. Um... Here he is referring to Whites as a block. Uh, They are sort of collectively responsible. Vosh, if I steal all your shit, how many years before you can't ask for it back? Um, I mean, I think by the time you've got, like, hundreds of years down the road, you probably can't do that. (laughs) I don't know where the line is, but eventually, like... If you want to make an argument for, like... um, like, the the, the, the um, land redistribution. Again, there are very revolutionary things you can do here, okay? I just don't think you can steal it from them because they're part of the race that historically colonized your people. Like, let's be clear, this isn't acceptable. We are not scared of blood. We are scared of defeat. We don't want to be defeated, but seeing blood is not what we're scared of. Like, listen, this political leader goes over to Zimbabwe, and Mugabe is a fucking psychopath. Um, And he's like, we're not afraid of blood. This shit causes, like, fucking white grievance that leads to the racial conflicts that cause further problems in South Africa. This worsens the issue. Malema told the young people he was in Zimbabwe for inspiration so that when he returned home, he could double the spirit of fighting against imperialist forces. He called on black South Africans to have as many children as possible so as to increase dominance of our ideas in the world at large and help catalyze world revolution. We want to see many kids. Why? Because we must reproduce ourselves. For ideas to be sustainable, we must reproduce ourselves. In the whole of Africa, we are not more than 1 billion, and the world has 7 billion people. Boy, I heard this literal fucking thing from the Nazi the other day. In Africa, we're facing more than 6 billion. We have to be half of that so our ideas can dominate. I know in some instances size does not matter, (laughs) but when it comes to a revolution, size matters. Nice. He founded the Economic Freedom Fighters. Marikana. Accusing the ANC government of murdering the miners involved in the Marikana mine strike. 78 people died. A killing of 34... Oh, 78 injured, 34 killed by the South African police services. We finally reached it. On the 23rd of August, 2018, Malema spoke out against the white genocide conspiracy theory, okay, and was critical of comments made by U.S. President Donald Trump, okay, after he had instructed his Secretary of State Mike Pompeo to investigate the South African farm attacks. Mm, And we'll learn about this too, because this gets brought up so much. Claiming it was absolute rubbish to say there's white genocide. While I agree with Malema here, it is kind of funny that he wants to do the white genocide, but he's also saying that it's rubbish that there's white genocide. You know, like, Like I agree, but he is the problem here in this particular issue. Malema said South Africans would not be intimidated by Mr. Trump and that the U.S. president's intervention into their domestic land rights issues only made them more determined. At a media briefing at the uh, EFF headquarters on the same day, Malema stated there is actually black genocide in the U.S. Hmm. They are killing black people in the U.S. Black people are even being killed in South Africa. Um, I don't know if what's happening in the U.S. would constitute a genocide of black people, but there's certainly racial oppression, and obviously so in South Africa. I broadly support this statement. Maybe perhaps a little hyperbolic, but... He also said... Oh. He also said there's a group of white right-wingers Who are being trained by Jews in Pretoria to be snipers, in reference to Israeli commandos training white South Africans, the South African Jewish Board of Deputies subsequently issued a statement denouncing Malema, calling his comments typical of his attention-seeking behavior and aimed at creating racial tension. If there legitimately were white militants being trained by Israelis, um not wouldn't be the first time, this statement is I'll put it this way. If the American Republican Party did something and somebody flippantly said the Christians are doing this thing, I probably wouldn't think that a product of bigotry. If the Israelis are doing something and they're flippantly referred to as the Jews, um, obviously that language is not good, but it's not quite the same as saying like flippantly, like the Jews are doing something just as like a conspiracy broadly, rather than referring to Israeli Jews. That's not a defense of the statement, it's just like, you know, like, if, for instance, if you said the Jews are killing Palestinians, that's a hell of a lot better than saying, like, um, the, the Jews are, like, trying to bring black immigration into America to replace the white birth rate, right? Like, they're, they're different, the Jews' statements. Um, however, if this guy was broadly anti-Semitic, it would not surprise me in the slightest. Um, black separatists have a rich history of anti-Semitism. Involvement in state contracts, threats to journalists. Hmm. The ANC Youth League released the personal details of City Press Investigations editor Dumisane Lubisi, his wife, and his children, including their identity numbers, bank details, residential address, and vehicle details. Wow. Why the fuck would you bring the wife and children into it? You can make a decent political argument for, like, enemies of the people if it's the actual guy. Why the fuck bring his... okay? Money laundering and tax evasion charges. Dude, the Nazi was literally saying that in the black supremacist South African state, singing death to all white people was not... Uh, 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 you can't charge that with a crime. Listen, the South Gauteng High Court ruled on the 26th of March, 2010, that the song which Milema had continued singing at public gatherings, was unconstitutional and unlawful, and that any person singing it could face charges of incitement to murder. Literally, the exact, exact thing the Nazi said didn't happen, happened exactly, and multiple times. Later, the North Carolina High Court granted an interdict, preventing Milema from publicly uttering the words of this or any other song which could be considered this is, this is like, I, I disagree with this. In America, in, in, in America, free speech, like you can, you can be Sasha Baron Cohen going like, throw the Jew down the well. You can do that. Um, in America. Over here, they don't have the First Amendment. The government can literally say like, that song is racist, never say it again. Um, and, and the fucking black separatist guy, had it happen to him. Um,
1: convicted of hate speech. Right
0: here? December 2013, he was arrested for speeding 215 kilometers an hour. Wow, gunning it. Malema stated at a political rally in 2016, the EFF are not calling for the slaughter of white people, at least for now. Okay, does that, like, we haven't even seen anything that's left-wing in nature. Every time this guy's politics come up, it's just him hating white people. Like, this keeps happening over and over again. Every fucking time, man. It's like, look at this like radical left candidate who's like wants to decolonize their territory. It's like, what are your politics? Okay, well, I fucking hate white people. That's my politics, you know? Following the death of Mugabe, Malema tweeted a number of controversial quotes from the late Mugabe that were racially prejudiced towards white people. Yes, Mugabe was an insane authoritarian far-right dictator, who also hated white people most notable was the quote that the only white man you can trust is a dead white man the south african human rights commission condemned the quote and stated they'd be taking him to court for for hate speech during a 2021 session of the pan-african parliament limelena threatened to kill an mp from mali during a 2022 equality court trial brought against him for hate speech, Malema stated he could not rule out the possibility that in future he may call for the slaughter of white people and explicitly refused to pledge he would never do so. This is this guy's only political position, is that he hates white people. That's it. That's the only thing he has in his head. It's Blitler. It's fucking Blitler, dude. My, man, I have never been as right as when I was giving Professor Flowers shit. How much do you want to bet he watches white on black porn? Oh, f- absolutely. You fucking kidding me? This guy jerks off while crying to like BWC just plowing black pussy. 100%. Because he's a fucking Nazi. They're all the same, dude. He's just Blitler. Even with the nationalizing, he didn't even give economic reasons only to punish white people. It's like, yeah, why do you want to nationalize? And he's like, well, I really want, I, I fucking hate white people. So, yeah, like, fuck. Yeah, t- Tyler, <laughs> Tyler took his girlfriend in high school. <laughs> Hunter uh, 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 took the hot chick he was gunning for in, in high school, and he's been mad about it ever since. Oh, fuck. Uh. Haas and his Pat soak people love these guys, by the way. Yeah, of course, they're far right. Obviously. Okay, we did it. We learned about the three parliamentary groups. Unfortunately, it looks like the EFF is the only group that gained seats in the recent election. Up to 19. Yeah, plus 19 uh, from the previous one. They're still the
1: minority group here, but...
0: Check out Malema's comments on Indian South Africans. Hmm. I wonder if he's racist against other groups. Malema stated during a rally, they, being the uh, Indian Asian Africans, um, they are ill-treating our people. They're worse than Afrikaners were. This is not an anti-Indian statement. It's the truth. Indians who own shops don't pay our people, but give them food parcels. which also led to people planning to file complaints with the South African Human Rights Commission. Racism against Jewish Africans. Oh, 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 sorry. This is a broad article on racism in South Africa, not a Malema specifically. So if you control F, he does come up 12 times
1: in this article.
0: <laughs> Great. I love, I love how I love how the economic freedom fighters are listed as a, um, the left-wing party and they're currently headed by a guy whose only politics is being racist. It's super awesome. Criticisms and controversies. This is like the whole, the whole Wikipedia is criticisms and controversies. Foreign ties and legal issues. Um, the ANC has accused the Zimbabwean ruling party of supporting the EFF in order to destabilize the ANC. That would not surprise me. The Zimbabwe African National Union Patriotic Front uh, is, uh, 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 you know, led by Mugabe, is a former led by Mugabe. What are his thoughts on LGBTQ plus people? You really fucking think this fucking guy right here likes gay people? This guy? He would have, I'd bet anything he would have you shot and dumped in a ditch. No fucking way. What if he's a homofascist? Maybe. Alleged corruption. Violence. Feminists have characterized leading members of the party as misogynistic. A group of 17 former EFF members accused the senior leadership of the party of corruption and sexual exploitation of more junior female party members. Bullying, intimidation. Bit of a sussy tweet he made. A gay, twanging, and flamboyant president would be better than the current one. Well, there you go. That's what we have on this guy's LGBTQ positions. And it's essentially just him saying, I'd rather a faggot than this guy. That's from 2012. Listen, look at this. The, the racial and ethnic prejudice section is the largest of the controversy section. God damn, dude. I wish I'd known more of this when I talked to Professor Flowers. So it could be like more evidence to the like you like you it this is like fake left like you literally just anti white. Like there's not actually any decolonial anything happening here. Um speaking at a political rally in twenty eighteen, Malama told supporters to quote, go after a white man. Cool.
1: Holy shit, he's a Putin
0: supporter. This guy has 3.6 million Twitter followers. Also, of course... First fucking thing, Uhuru, that I see. Fantastic. Why not just link the Putin thing? Yep. Happy 70th birthday, the president of the expanded Russian Federation. Hmm. Yeah, of course this guy's a a fucking supporter of Putin. Because he's a fascist! Because he's Blitler! In July 2022, he spoke at a press conference in Johannesburg Warning, an uprising in South Africa was imminent. In an interview with the BBC, Malama stated, The violence that is going to happen in South Africa is because the elite is disappearing and the poor are becoming more poor. When the unled revolution comes, the first target is going to be white people. This is correct descriptively, but this is a statement that he is making free-scriptively, which is the problem. Ideological criticisms. Fascism. Hmm. Since its establishment, the EFF has made a number of controversially racially or ethnically based statements about a number of South African minority groups. The EFF has been widely criticized for inciting and perpetuating racism. Party practices, in addition to its legacy of racial prejudice, have widely been defined as fascist, with the most citations I've ever seen on a Wikipedia article. With its leader, Julius Malema, and the party's cult of personality surrounding him compared to Benito Mussolini. In mid-June 2016, a group calling themselves Anonymous Africa claimed to be associated with Anonymous condemned the party and perpetuated a DDoS attack on the EFF's website stating the reason for the attack was the party's nationalist socialist rhetoric. It genuinely fucking bothers me that parties like that get listed as the left. That really bothers me. Like, it's like, oh, the lineup, you have the liberals, the centrists, and the left. No, you don't. You have the liberals, the centrists, and the fascists. They're just black fascists. It's not leftism when you do fascism while black. That doesn't. That doesn't make it.
1: <sighs>
0: Maybe that's the future of South Africa. The ANC lost 19 seats. The EFF gained 19 seats. The other three parties that have any representation whatsoever are the Zulu descendants, the Inkata Freedom Party, uh, who I guess would just be far-right, if I remember correctly. Maybe not. I am perhaps incorrect.
1: Positions. Oh, that's just his political positions. I mean, what do you believe?
0: (sighs) Whatever. Doesn't it say on the right-hand side? Ideology. Yeah, conservatism, anti-communism, constitutional monarchism. Okay, right. This is the far-right party. Well, this is the second far-right party. Peter Groenwald. Here we have a whitey. Not just a whitey, but the most whitey. Wow. Um, Leader of the Freedom Front. So these guys are what? Nazis? Freedom Front Plus. Who puts plus in the name? Right-wing political party. Yeah. Cape Independence, Christian Democracy, Colored Interests, Economic Liberalism, National Conservatism, Social Conservatism, and Volkstadt. Volkstadt, also called Burstadt, is a proposed view to establish an all-white Afrikaner homeland within the borders of South Africa. Okay. So this so this is the new apartheid party, yeah. So they yeah, okay. So they yeah, so they okay. So this is our third far right party. And then we have the, the newcomers, the, 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 the ACDP,
1: what are you guys about?
0: You got COVID-19, that's cool. What are you about, ACDP? African Christian Democrat Party. Christian democracy, social conservatism, Christian right. Wow, South Africa is completely fucked. They have three parties in Parliament, the first of which, which is losing ground, is the inheritor of Nelson Mandela's neoliberal party. And then you have the centrist option for the racist white people, the Blitler party, uh, uh, the, 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 the other Blitler party, the regular Hitler party. And then you have the, the smallest one there, which is the so fucking... <sighs> God. Cool. Man. South Africa really will die with the ANC. Thankfully, the ANC does have a massive lead, you know? Even if they fall below a supermajority, like, even if they're below 50%, um, they'll still be the largest party by far. Keep in mind right now that um, Julius Malema only... uh, um, It's 44 seats, 84 to the 230 of the... um, Oh, oh, sorry, sorry, the percentage is right here. My apologies. I was looking at the last percentage. 57.5 for the ANC, 20.7 for the Democratic Alliance, 10.8 for the EFF. So, mm, This has gone on for a long time, and I've learned a lot. The last thing that I want to read about is the South African farm attacks, because this was the center of so much alt-right discourse. Um, Is this research for a debate? Nope, just for the love of knowledge. Do you not all feel like we've learned something today? I Personally, I feel like this has been an incredibly enlightening stream. Don't you want to read on Thomas Sankara? Yeah, but another stream. <laughs> you know, we um, got to pace out our, our brain swelling uh, a little bit. I'd be happy if you did more of these. Me too. I want to keep growing as a person, um, you know, as much as I can. Also, more people are watching this time than before. The last research stream that I did had around mid-2000 people watching. Right now we have um, uh, about 4,000 people watching, which is nice. Of course, I am no expert on South Africa. Uh, I would need to do an enormous amount of research before I felt comfortable confidently talking about many of their political issues. I'm, I'm doing the best I can, you know, I'm trying to, I'm doing, doing the best I can. South African farm attacks are violent crimes including murder, assault, and robbery that take place in farms in South Africa. The attacks target farmers who are usually white and farm workers who are usually black. Black farmers are also victims of violent attacks. The term has no formal legal definition, but such attacks have been subject to discussion by media and public officials in South Africa and abroad. You tell me. There is insufficient data to reliably estimate a murder rate for South African farmers. South African government data indicated between 58 and 74 murders on farms annually in the periods between 2015-2017 out of an annual murder count of 20,000 total murders in South Africa. These figures are broadly consistent with figures collected by the Transvaal Agricultural Union, a farmer's union. Due to the problems associated with the counting, it's unclear whether farmers are at a greater risk of being murdered than other South Africans. So right off the bat, between 58 and 74 murders annually, out of 20,000 murders annually, already this feels like a highly overinflated concern. This is a very small portion of the total number of murders. Keep in mind that the alt-right was talking about this like there were black militia groups on 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 technicals that were gunning down like white farming families. Um, But not only does it happen to white and black people, but it's also not. Overwhelming number. Yeah, Von Puffles, I think we'll get to that. Von Puffles, are you South African? You've said a couple of things in chat. I'm not reading chat, but I'm asking. Have you ever seen Mugabe's We Are Not Gay speech? Me too. Von Puffles, do you mind me asking if you are um, an Afrikaner, black, Indian, one of the... uh, uh, Are they literally just called coloreds? Yeah, no, I think that's the actual term. I'm half Afrikaans, half American. Half American. So you would be white. Okay. You would be grouped with the Afrikaans politically. I ask you then, Von Puffels, amidst your social groups, which uh, I assume are mostly Afrikaans because there is still significant geographic uh, discrimination, you know, like where people are grouped, Um, the character of the white man in South Africa. Data released by the South African government in 2018 showed the number of farm attacks had increased between 2012 and 2018, but that the number of murders on farms had decreased year by year during the period. During the same farm uh, year, farming organization AgriSA for Agri South Africa reported on police statistics which suggested the murder rate on farms had declined to the lowest level in 20 years. Okay, so this is literally completely made up. Okay, wonderful. So the data that we have Is not only was this a highly overstated problem, but also that it was literally better then than it had been in the past. My social group is mostly queer lefties. Well, of course, you like me. Africans' culture is something that is perceived differently in different parts, whether it's in the city. Oh, of course, of course. There's no real such thing as like a cultural block. There's no cultural homogeneity. I was just curious. I know that South Africa is a very... We get to end
1: this with a Google Maps segment. Yes!
0: Unsubstantiated claims that such attacks on farmers disproportionately target whites are a key element of the white genocide conspiracy theory and have become a common talking point among white nationalists worldwide. However, there are no reliable figures that suggest white farmers are being targeted in particular or that that they are at a disproportionate risk of being killed the government of South Africa and other analysts maintain that farm attacks are part of a broader crime problem and do not have a racial motivation. Well, I think that kind of sums it up right there, doesn't it? Okay. I feel like I've learned a lot, but learning is not enough. Empathy requires experience. It's a flaw in human thinking. It's very, very, very difficult to fully empathize uh, without being able to communicate with, or at the very least see. So today, for the first time ever,
1: I will see South Africa. Bubble. Oh my God! Shorts. Ay-yay. Zoom. You said you were in Cape Town. That is a Cape Town. Cape Town. Cape Town. Show me. That's an interesting looking van. Let's go by the water. Take me to the water. Let's go. Take me, take me to the Cape. There we go. Beautiful. As I understand
0: it, the major cities in South Africa, like Cape Town and Johannesburg, are basically on par with the development of many European cities. Um... You can see how much, uh, you can see how much better off South Africa is next to its contemporaries by the amount of Google mapping going on.
1: Do you see? Look at that
0: Kenya, South Africa, Nigeria, Ghana and Senegal and the Gambia, and... yeah, interesting. What limits Google? Usually the stability and wealth of a region. Kenya, Nigeria are not the poorest countries uh, at all in, uh, in, in, um, in Africa. South Africa is comparatively quite wealthy. What is Pretoria? Uh, Johannesburg is right here. Is Pretoria a city? Why does it have a black dot?
1: One of the capitals? Okay, it,
0: just, it looks like a natural center. Oh, oh, I see. Wow. Density. Whoa. Look at that. It's a beautiful city.
1: Let's see. Wow. No kidding. Well, most parts of, uh, most parts of this town probably aren't this nice looking, but yeah.
0: Feels almost like an unfair representation. (laughs) There we go. Cash for scrap. That's direct. We have encountered the class divide. This is not even close to being the poor parts of South Africa, though. Look at the cars. These are new and well-kept. Um, there are far poorer places
1: in South Africa than this. Which you can find. You click around long enough In here This looks quite nice, actually. Where would I go to find? If I click around long enough,
0: One thing that I will note is that a lot of what I'm looking at feels like it was built very quickly, like a lot of the areas that I'm looking at are like um flat simple nothing above a couple stories you know like just like stretch out build it out as quick as you can this feels if if anything maybe indicative of the housing development policies of um mandela you know like 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 get these houses out there like you know let
1: Well, this doesn't look like wealth or poverty. This just looks like... uh... Ignoring wild couples. Please check Kayalicha for the scrap houses. Where the fuck is that? Kayet Leachha, Kayet Leecha, Kayet Leecha. Search bar remains elusive. I don't believe in the search bar. Search? No, where is it? Who put so many cities here? Cape Town outskirts? I forget what I'm looking for. What's the name of the place that I'm looking for? Kayet Licha, Kayet Licha. Ah. Yep, there it is. Wow. What was that movie where they showed poverty in South Africa? Um, District 9. Yeah. Yeah, you, you know you've entered the bad part of town when it's not a fence, it's a wall. You know what I mean? Yeah, look, all these properties have, like, walls.
0: There's a dog, just chilling. Isn't even that bad, TBH? There are probably far worse centers of poverty. Um.
1: It seems to be like this all over. Oh, wow.
0: That is a goddamn survival crafting fence right there. That is a gather 27 sticks and construct fence fence right there.
1: Trash piles. This is poverty. This is third world poverty right here. Yeah, look at that.
0: I wonder what the purpose is of this fencing. It doesn't look like it's keeping animals in, and this would obviously not be effective at keeping humans out. Is it to designate the property line and nothing else? That might just be it, but if so, why the effort? Why not use less material? Decoration? I guess. Is this better than its absence? I feel like its absence right here is almost preferable. It could just be a way of, like... ...cementing boundaries so you don't have disputes over it?
1: I don't know. Whoa, something here is uh, illegal. No outgang. No... No do it, gang. Oh, it, it means emergency exit. In Dutch.
0: And keep in mind what we're looking at right now is just on the outskirts of Cape Town. Like, this is Cape, like.
1: This isn't that far off. This is exorbitant wealth in comparison. I will
0: say this much, and I apologize if this sounds quite mean. South Africa, in its landscape, does not seem like a very beautiful country to me. South Africa, yes, the most income unequal in the world, where 10% of the population owns more than 80% of the wealth. Yeah, literally the most income inequality in the world. No, I'm
1: sure if I looked around, I'd see more beautiful things. I know I've seen barely any of it. I know.
0: I will apologize for my hastily made comment by uh, Google image searching South Africa landscape and immediately being confronted with uh, overwhelming beauty. There you go. Well, that's highly
1: pixelated. Why do they not
0: have HD photos? Why do they embed these photos at these resolutions? Whatever, it's very late and I'm quite tired. I think I've done a very good job today.